0: Welcome back to the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Ryan Roberts today. No Alex Gilstrap because he didn't watch any of the 2022 prospects. That is the alleged reason we cannot confirm, but sources say that might be a reason why. As I've alluded to, today's episode is our first 2022 show we talk prospects on this podcast so as soon as we get the chance to talk about the next group of prospects you bet your ass we're gonna go do it and we've already started releasing some 2022 interviews garrett williams was our first one stay tuned as we are going to increasingly have bigger and bigger names coming on the podcast before we get to that though folks i would like to tell you about bet online bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds that you need and it is the best place to place your bets and it is free to sign up bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action we've got the nba playoffs coming up we've got the play-in tournament coming up very soon depending on when you're listening to this episode make sure you go put those bets down if you think a a certain team's going to push their way up into a better spot or make the playoffs if you think you've got a hunch on who you think's going to win the nba finals there are future bets for those options go get your action in now and do not wait head to their website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts All right, Ryan. Ryan, I know that you're absolutely chomping at the bit to talk about the 2022 group because last show when we were getting ready, I said to you in our group chat, I said do we want to go 2022 already? Do we want to spend a second week on the 2021 NFL draft? And the first thing you said to me was that, no, I'm, I'm ready now. I'm ready to do 2022 now. Well, there's
2: nothing, man. There's nothing worse than like the recap shows. It's so boring to be honest. I apologize to all the listeners out there. It is so boring. Like who cares anymore? The only thing that's going to matter is if those guys pan out. So that's something that we're going to have to visit down the road. Like, my job is done. They were off to the NFL. I don't care about them anymore. It's about 2022 now, and I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. You can only really project so much, and you spend the whole draft cycle, and the draft cycle technically starts now for the 2022 group for for us getting prepared. You spend that full period of time, that full year, projecting and analyzing Well, are you going to project and analyze the same stuff that you said just because they're on a specific team? Well, yes, you can, and we did that. (laughs) You can't really go much further than a few shows until it gets to a point where it's incredibly redundant and overly talked about. So you might as well spend the time to talk about the 2022 group. And as we did last year, we're going to do some specific overviews of these very specific draft classes to prepare you for the college football season but we decided to start this this uh, this draft cycle off with an overview, talking about some of the various pieces that you need to be aware of before we dive into the nitty-gritty of it all. So, Ryan, I've got to ask you, and you've got a really good anecdote here for the just overall thought before we hit on some, some superlatives. What is your just general takeaway from looking at this draft class already?
2: Well, I mean, so I'm going to preface it by saying I'm only about 20 finish reports in, about 30, 35 team players that I've like really dove into heavy. But I will say the general assumption over this class was we had a lot of guys with the extra year of eligibility decide to go back. So in theory, the 2021 class was a little lacking in full depth, especially in the day three. The 2022 in effect, again, in theory, would be a big – you know, would 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 really um, would really ex- accentuate and would become a much deeper class in effect. In, in, in regard to so many players going back, I know there's still a lot of players in the transfer portal. People are still trying to figure out what the next destination is. But in theory, at least early on, it looks like this is going to be a much deeper class. As every class is, we have some classes, some position groups that I'm very excited about, and then some that are a little underwhelming to me. I know we're gonna go really deep into those, but like cornerback, safety, defensive end, rush linebackers, running backs, interior offensive linemen, I think are all really strong groups for my earlier viewing. And I but I think that like every other class also, like we had last year with um, safeties was a little weak. We had uh, interior defensive linemen was a little weak in the 2021 class. I think offensive tackle is a little weak after having a good class this past year. I think wide receiver is down after having two great cycles in a row. I think interior defensive line again is down. And then linebacker after a strong group of 2021 is down. So, it's I mean, at the end of the day... This is how it is every single year. There's gonna be some groups that are stronger than others. There's gonna be some that are extremely weak. But it does look like at least early on that there this is going to be a nice group in terms of depth just because of the sheer numbers.
0: Yeah, the numbers are definitely high and somebody that is something that's gonna be a conversation that will be had on the FCS football podcast, my other show. Is that there's a lot of FCS guys that return to school that really were unsure of their future. Like Drew Himmelman from Illinois State is a perfect example, where if he declared, he probably would have been provided an, an NFL opportunity. And it sounded like he was going to leave, but he decided to go back.
2: I'm very mad. And at him. that's I'm very mad at him. Yeah,
0: because he did tell you that he was going back, and sure, they, or dude. he wasn't going back. Sure.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so I, I literally hit him up like, "Hey, Drew, I, I was just wondering if I need a." I wonder if I need a scouting report for you if you're going if you're going back here leave and he's like yeah yeah I'm gonna play a couple games but to my understanding I'm, I'm I um I I'm allowed to still declare by the deadline and still play so I'm so I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the 2021 cycle but I'm gonna play I'm a jerk what oh come
0: a on jerk. don't don't say you hate him come I, I don't hate him
2: I like Drew Drew's a good guy <laughs> talk to him a couple of times but come on man give me bad information.
0: Oh, that's true. Well, I, and of course, coming right from the horse's mouth, giving you bad information right. is even worse.
2: <laughs> right. It's all like but I, I heard lo- from a friend of a friend. Like, it was, it was directly right. from
0: him. Right. And, and there's a lot of FCS guys that are going to be in this class, I think possibly more than normal, that could be drafted – like we had what five guys the previous draft class was way less than usual. Yeah. We could be close to like 20. Is that unreasonable to say that we end up somewhere in that range?
2: I don't think so cuz I mean I made a just a tentative list and I while I don't think there's a Trey Lance and I don't really think there's even like a Spencer Brown, I do think that there's a ton of late day late 2 yeah. day 3 depth pieces. Like there's a, there's a lot a large number and we've also seen the the impact of players get an extra year of eligibility is a lot of these guys that are going into the portal are going to end up transferring down. Like they, they need to find a place to go eventually. So I think that that's really where what's going to happen there. And and that's where the depth is going to come from. But I do think that next year, I mean, definitely more than five, maybe I think 13 was the year before. I I think up near 20 is probably a safe bet for FCS guys.
0: And the other thing too, that goes into this equation a lot, or Actually, all of these FCS guys didn't play in the fall. There were some that did play like a half season. Yep. They spent the whole fall training. They spent the whole summer previously training, and then they geared up for spring ball, and some teams didn't even make it through a full season. So they had all of this time to prepare, and that's why there were a bunch of dudes who came out of nowhere because they had all of that, that time to condition, to add bulk, add strength. I think we're going to see the best in shape FCS group and also maybe some of the most athletic guys that we've ever seen just because of the bizarre circumstance that they dealt with with playing in the spring.
2: It's a, it's about time the FCS starts pulling their weight, man. That's all I have to say about it. It'd be oh, nice to see. It was a lot of fun it. though, Joe. I got to tell you, man, like I was very <laughs> hesitant on the whole spring season, but I mean, that championship game was a ton of fun. There was some good football played down the stretch. And, and like you said, I think it's a good kind of just quick transition into the fall, like no spring practice. Obviously, that basically was spring practice and playing playing games. I think that it's going to be a really competitive fall. We saw a team like North Dakota State who has been dominating for several years. Not, I mean, they went 7-2, and two, so it's not like they were a bad football team, but like, there is a lot more parity this spring, and I, I am curious right. to see if that transitions over to the fall.
1: And that, that's a nice little sneak peek at uh, Ryan's going to be appearing on the FCS football podcast. He doesn't know it yet, though. I already uh, have it in my back of my mind. I just recorded the FCS football podcast, and I teased that you're going to be on the show soon. So I didn't check with Ryan, but it doesn't matter. He's coming on my show. He doesn't have a choice because he knows me too well. All right. So, Ryan, let's get to the strongest position group, and you have written down what just – Without counting them looks like 40 names, but it's like 15 guys that you wrote down for this edge class. Why are you in love with this edge class already for and it's a good transition because last year's edge group was very underwhelming.
2: Yeah, no, it's it this year is like the most adverse thing of all time when we're talking about edge cuz it was like last year was a bunch of names, bunch of talents, nobody that was even close to a finished product. Not that anybody ever is coming out of college, but like when you look at just the depth of this class and guys that I'd be willing right now to pencil into the first round potentially, like I think that this is by far the strongest group, and I, I think that they j- it's just the depth too because you're you're not just losing steam after like five you know notable names. I mean we're talking about guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, who's been a guy for a couple years already out of Oregon, George Garloftis, who I interviewed and did a. Uh, an article on my Jay Sanders from Cincinnati who flirted with coming out in 2021. Drake Jackson from USC. Zach Harrison from Ohio State. Kingsley Enigbare, the defensive end out of South Carolina, like 6'4", 275. Aiden Hutchinson who was maybe a declare before he before he injured himself for Michigan. D'Angelo Malone who I thought might be in the 2021 class from Western Kentucky. Ali Gay. Adam Anderson. O'Shawn Mathis, Jordan Strachan, who's a small school kid that's out of Georgia State who actually transferred over to Georgia Tech for his final year. who's very talented. Sam Williams from Ole Miss who has some off-field demons but is a talented football player. Jeffrey Gunter, who is going to be on the Believe in NFL Dread Prospect podcast here soon, the defensive end out of Coastal Carolina. It is a fantastic group, man. So much depth, really strong at the top. This is one of the strongest position groups early on that I can remember just in general in, in any class recently. It's it's that deep.
0: Yeah, the fact that, and I know this wasn't in a particular order, you rattled off like five names before hitting Aiden Hutchinson. Right. And at one point we were talking about Hutchinson being a top five player in last year's edge group. Yep. And understandably that wasn't a, a comparable at all in terms of the talent, but the guy was being considered to be a day two prospect. And he goes back for another year. He could end up being having a better year than Quiddy Pay did last year, and he could end up pushing his way into higher up in the conversation. So seeing a guy like him, and then also Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be the big name that is going to be talked about a lot. And I, I saw a take, I forget where it was and who said it. But I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that Thibodeau could break the streak of quarterbacks being the first overall pick. Depending on who's picking there, he could end up being that first overall selection.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think that he would definitely be one of the probably two or three favorites to be the first quarterback off the board in general, and I think that you can make that comparison because the weird thing about Thibodeau is I expected to see this twitched-up, athletic pass rusher who just has a plan and has a couple moves spurred together, and I did not get the player I thought I was going to get. I got twitchy. I got super athletic. There's no doubt about it. But the work this kid does in the run game, I was super surprised because he plays hard, man. He is super powerful. He can create power in very tight spaces. I think that he is a fantastic run defender who is still figuring out as a pass rusher. But when you're talking about the tools that he has, like he is, he's athletic enough, he's twitched up enough, he's talented enough that he could be in that Chase Young, um, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, like that, that even Miles Garrett potentially. Like, he could be in that conversation just based upon talent. Like, he is he's that good. He and the scary part about Pac-12 offensive tackles and just offensive linemen in general that have gone against him is that he's not there yet. He doesn't have a plan of attack. He's just a guy that is literally overwhelming dudes. When he figures it out, when he learns to string together some moves, and he and he has a little bit of uh, just growth as a as a finesse player that understands you know how to attack levers and do different things. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is one of that once every few year type of pass rusher.
0: See the way that you just described him to me is very reminiscent to what Jadeveon Clowney I think was supposed to be in his career. You shaking your head. That. You don't like don't
2: that.
1: Say that. Well, okay, because. Because Clowney got into the league,
0: he's a freakish athlete, top recruit, yada yada yada, uh, highlight plays, and his best—the thing that he was the best at when he was with the Texans—was he was a really good run defender, but he didn't really put together that sack production. I, I don't think that, like, I think it would be almost negative to declare Kayvon Thibodeau, Jadeveon Clowney, because of what you just described him as. Because if he hits, he could be a lot better than that,
2: right? Well, I, I think I think the weaknesses in Clowney, it's just a little different because Clowney was twitched up, super explosive, big frame, but he th- he wasn't really the most flexible athlete of all time, and he didn't have a plan. I just think that Thibodeau lacks a plan right now, and he's a little bit smaller than, than Clowney is. I think that it's much more reasonable to think that Thibodeau is going to get there just because of the type of athlete and the type of bend that he has. His whole thing is that he's just not nuanced right now. He doesn't under, have a, a clear plan of attack. I, I think that Clowney had a couple things going against him a little bit. And uh, there was obviously also, you know, the year he had at South Carolina and his career, there were some questions of like how much did he want it type of thing. Watching Kayvon Thibodeau play football, like there is no question. The dude plays 100 miles an hour. So I, I, I'm pretty sold on him. Um, you know, you, you're never going to speak with certainties, but, I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up being a high-volume sack guy on the next level.
0: If we were talking weakest group, and I find it a little bit ironic and a little laughable that here we are yet again, another interior defensive line group, that sucks. And it seems like we're on this continuous trend where less talented guys are playing in that interior spot. It's like if you have a little bit of twitch, coaches are saying, all right, lose a little bit of weight and you're playing – defensive end or you're playing stand up. That's what we want you to do. And it seems like we're, we're not getting any more of these meaty guys that take up space because it's just not needed as much in college football.
2: Yeah. This was a close one for me between offensive tackle and interior defensive line. Offensive tackle has got Evan Neal from Alabama. Who's super talented. And they have uh, Sean Ryan from UCLA, who I'm a big fan of. And I haven't seen anybody talk too much about Sean Ryan. I'm telling you right now, here's my early hot take. Sean Ryan, I believe, from UCLA will – he will challenge Evan Neal as the first offensive tackle off the board when it's all said and done. I think wow. that that kid is super talented. Reminds me of Jedrick Wills a bunch. But for me, the weakest class was the weakest class last year too. Interior defensive line did not have a first-round pick. Christian Barmore obviously fell into the second round. Just not a lot to get excited about outside of Barmore. Maybe Levi on Muzarike. Like, there was a couple guys that you were trying to pound the table for on day two, but – I do think that they have one guy here. And it's a first-round player in DeMarvin Leal. And I think that DeMarvin Leal is actually a guy that really could ascend to maybe being a top 10, top 15 type of player because he's a weird guy at 6'4", 290. He actually plays defensive end for Texas A&M, but like, he's going to play inside. But he is a stupid athlete. Like Doing backflips, barely looks like he's 290. Like Just a ridiculous athlete. Like, this guy could be one of those top 10 potential players on the interior. But the problem is after that, you're like, Jordan Davis from Georgia is interesting. He hasn't quite put it together. After that, it's like Tyler Davis from Clemson, maybe. Haskell Garrett, who a lot of people have been hyping up. I just did an official eval on him, and I gave him a third-round grade. Like, I thought he was fine, but like, uh, I don't know. Some people, I think some people are trying to find players in the class that – might just might not be there right now. And I really do think that the interior defensive line after a underwhelming one in 2021 outside of DeMarvin Leal from Texas a I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, Jordan Davis could get there, but like Christian Barmore could have got there too, right? Like Marvin Wilson could have got there at some point for some people and ends up going on draft. So like, we'll see what happens. I think it's a very underwhelming group though. And I'm, I'm searching to find secondary guys after Leal that get me excited.
0: Yeah, Not surprising that here we are yet again, not really much to, to hang your hat on with this interior group. And it's funny that the one guy that you pull that you're like, wow, this guy could be a top 10, top 15, top you had to p- supply the asterisks of he's actually playing defensive end. So is this a, a 3-4 defensive end that we're talking about with Leal?
2: I I th- I think that he could play three tech in a, in a uh, in an even front. I think that he definitely could fit into a five tech four I type of guy in a three man front. I think he's versatility to him because they do they do move him around up and down the line. Of scrimmage like he's not playing true four three defensive end every single snap, but it's the majority of it. And I think that that just honestly speaks to the athletic profile, which I think a lot of teams are really going to like because they're gonna be like, wow, he's two hundred ninety pounds. He looks like he's barely carrying weight and he's athletic enough to play defensive end, Like I, I think that that's going to be a big selling point for him. But I do think that his his best future is is inside. I really do think that he's super talented, a guy that can play a little bit inside. Now, maybe he ends up being a guy like a Michael Bennett who plays 4-3 defensive end, but he does his best work on pass rush downs inside. Like, that's possible because they're actually kind of similar-sized guys. But I really do think that whether it's an even or odd man front, a team's going to love a guy like DeMarvin Leal.
0: Hitting on the deepest group, and to clarify, folks, if you don't know what we mean by deepest, this, we're not saying that this group has the best talent, but rather has the most talent throughout the various rounds. So you're still going to get some quality players as you push into day two and maybe even day three. So if we're talking about the deepest group, Ryan, who do you think fits that bill?
2: It's probably the edge group again, but I wanted to throw in another group that's like pretty close honestly and it's a breath of fresh air because it wasn't the best group in 2021. I think the safety class in 2022 is going to be special. this gives me a big opportunity here to talk up Kyle Hamilton who if the draft happened today, I did a I did a breakdown a preliminary report on Kyle Hamilton if the draft was today, Kyle Hamilton would have the highest grade that I've ever given out to a safety. Wow. He is 6'4, 220 pounds is so athletic. Despite that size that he plays single high safety. The majority of the time for Notre Dame can come down in the box, could play curl flat, could play man, to man on the slot. I mean, against Syracuse, which is playing four to five wide. Every single snap, he's playing man down low against Nikeem Johnson, who's like a 180-pound slot receiver. So, like, he is a special football player. Compton to Kenny Eastley, who just went in the Hall of Fame a couple years ago that he just played with the Seattle Seahawks, was another big jumbo wow. size safety. Like, he's that type of dude, man. Like, he's not just a guy that you're going to look at and be like, you're on a blanket tight ends. Like, he could literally play two high, single high-end spurts. He has special range on the back end, and he doesn't miss tackles. So, like, the, the impact that a guy like Kyle Hamilton has is potentially special. But then you got guys like Bubba Bolden from Miami who's really talented, former USC transfer, Brandon Joseph from Northwestern who just gives me Jesse Bates vibes all over the place from Northwestern. Tyke Smith who was at West Virginia just transferred to Georgia. Sterling Weatherford, a smaller school guy that I just kind of caught wind of, Miami Ohio kid who again, like a Kyle Hamilton, is 6 foot 4 220 pounds and playing single high safety a bunch. And they're asking him to do a lot of different things. So he's another guy. And then another big safety, Isaiah Palomalu who is actually the nephew of Troy Palomalu, a size safety at USC, six foot four, 210 pounds. This safety class is not only big, but it's very talented. And then you have other guys like Verone McKinley, the third from Oregon, who I think is a really solid football player. Who's more of that nickel hybrid safety defender, but what, what I really love about the safety class right now is you have a bunch of supersized guys. You have a bunch of guys that have some range on the back end, and I think that you have a style and a body type for everybody. So the safety class on top of this edge group, I think, is going to make a lot of teams very happy because it's a really talented class.
0: So I have to ask specifically about Kyle Hamilton, his skill set, what we know he can do and he's somebody that I'm probably the most familiar with because of the, the period of time that we covered Notre Dame together. It makes me wonder, despite he, him doing all the safety stuff at an elite level, yep. is because of his size, is he going to be playing a, like a linebacker type position? Like, d- Is that what the role that we're going to see for him in the NFL? Because I don't know if like single high is what he's going to be doing for an NFL team. Is that is that fair to say?
2: I, I don't, so I think some people are probably going to look at him body type wise and they're going to go like Jeremy Chin question mark like they're that's going to kind of be but that like, that's the
0: first thing that comes in comes to my head which makes sense I mean
2: similar size profiles. they Six are similar three, size profiles I think the big difference is like I think that Kyle Hamilton is such a good athlete that he could play on the roof like I don't think that he's going to play single high every single snap for you but I think he can because I just think he has so much range on the back end. And so I don't think that he's a safety. Like, could he be pulled down to the second level in certain against certain situations and certain covered shells? Like, it's possible. But I really do think he's a true safety. I think that he's a special true safety. Like, I don't like uttering the name Sean Taylor because Sean Taylor was the rarest of the rare. But I think he's a lot closer to Sean Taylor than people are going wow. to admit to themselves. I think he's that type of special athlete.
0: And ho- hopefully, I'm. I-, I know this is. A bit negative to throw out there, but I, I hope that he doesn't end up actually it's not negative, because Isaiah Simmons is is has not He's not a bust. I'm not no. saying that he is. But he hasn't been used to his full potential. And I'm just hoping that for some reason NFL teams get these guys and they're like, what the hell do we do with him? What the hell do we do with him? And they just if he doesn't end up in the right situation, that's the only thing that 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 concerns me because he's such a rare physical specimen playing that like you don't see a six foot four 220 pound guy playing over the top it's just he's a mark and that's kind of what isaiah simmons was able to do all this different all these different things because he's a four three athlete at that similar size profile if anything he was heavier than than kyle hamilton so i'm just i'm worried that he ends up on a bad football team with a bad defensive coordinator that doesn't know how to use him
2: well the the problem with isaiah simmons was like he was he was solid at everything but I don't think he excelled at anything. So people were like, okay, he's this jumbo-sized athlete who is probably best on the second level. But I think I just think the difference is I really do think that Kyle Hamilton is true safety. Like I don't I don't think that there's any limitations for him in deep coverage, deep zones. Like I, I think that he can turn and run. I think he has flexible hips. I think he can play man-to-man. A lot of the same things Isaiah Simmons can. But I, ju- I truly just think that the range on the back end is completely different there. I think that people are tr- – they, they had they had a player like Isaiah Simmons who was so good at everything or, or – sorry, I should rephrase. That could potentially be good at multiple things that he fell in a situation where Vance Joseph was just kind of like, I'm not really sure what you do best. So I'm going to try to find a spot for you and, the, and he would kind of pigeonhole him even though he should probably be a versatile piece. Kyle Hamilton, on the other hand, I think he can excel at one thing, do it really well, and then I say, and then a coach is going to be like, okay, now let's add this to the arsenal because we know you could do that well. The, Isaiah Simmons wasn't the cre- the uh, the cleanest projection. Kyle Hamilton's a guy that I think literally could do almost any role on the defense.
0: So I think a fun way to wrap up today's show because I think we talked the most crap out of any NFL draft group, any NFL draft threesome out there on draft Twitter. Um, what do we think is the early bad take that eventually will be very quickly debunked? Can we think of what was one that we had last year? Do we? I can't think. Can we think of one off the top of our heads? Marvin
2: Wilson, top ten player. Oh, there we go. That's (laughs) (laughs) that was quick. Dylan Moses, first rounder.
0: I remember we talked a lot of a lot of crap about those.
1: That was that was fun. That we're was gonna fun. do it again. So Ryan, what is the what's the take that you think everyone's being really stupid about? And once things just play out, it's gonna go it's gonna go the opposite direction.
2: I, I think it's the quarterback class, because I have seen nothing but negative reviews and people saying like this is an awful class. And I think part of it is 2021, you had four guys that were legitimately top 10 players that could have went in the top 10. I think yeah, Justin Fields went 11, right, with that trade. But I think that there are legitimate there are legitimately four players that could have went in the first round. We had five quarterbacks going to the round 1 specifically. And there's no shocker here. There's no Trevor Lawrence in this class. Who would have thought, right? There's no Trey Lance in this class. There's probably no Justin Fields in this class. But there's this misconception now, in my opinion, that this is a bad quarterback class. I don't agree with that. I just really don't because I've now watched a few of them. Spencer Rattler, I think, is going to go in the first round. I think he's very talented out of Oklahoma. I like Keenan Slovis a bunch. Keenan Slovis, I think, could be my top quarterback out of USC. His 2019 film was fantastic. 2020 was not as good, but he was dealing with a – Shoulder injury, and he was playing in the Pac-12 with that debacle of a season. So I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack for now. Carson Strong, I've talked about him a bunch. I think he has a chance to go in the first round. And then we got guys, the next wave is guys like Jaden Daniels, JT Daniels, Matt Corral, Phil Jerkovic, who Dame Brugler had going in the top 15, 15th overall pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the quarterback is going to be good. Is there questions? Absolutely. But we also have to remember that the majority of this class was true sophomores last year or in their first year of starting like a Phil Djokovic. So I I, I think that it's just a class that people don't know as much about as they normally would. There's been no Trevor Lawrence that's been anointed the guy for three years now. I think that it's going to end up being a good quarterback class, and a lot of people are going to be like, oh, wait, I thought this was underwhelming. But in reality, they were just kind of overthinking it, and they were comparing it to what was a really good class in 2021.
0: Yeah, I think it's very tough to immediately assume that this group is going to stack up with what we saw last year. And there were a lot of guys in the top of that group that had some serious talent and, and they are very unique prospects. There wasn't one guy that was similar to the other. And it was kind of based on what teams wanted. Some guys ended up sliding further than I think we expected because the the resounding thought was, oh, there's going to be four guys in the top four picks. That didn't end up happening this year. Right. But maybe that doesn't happen for the 2022 class. I think the one thing that's going to be pretty quick to say, though, is we're going to have better depth, it sounds like. We're going to actually have some day two guys, uh, some interesting names that go on day two that maybe turn into to possible starters. But we did we did not have that for no, this last
2: class. No, now after after like quarterback six to seven this year, which was like Davis Mills and Kyle Trask, and then Kellen Mond's. Like after that, it just fell off a cliff. I I don't think that this class is going to fall off a cliff. I'd even mention guys like Malik Willis, who a lot of people like out of Liberty. Like I think that there is into this day two, maybe even to day three. There's developmental potential in this class. I think that well, obviously this is if everybody does come out, if everybody does declare. But I think that this is a much deeper class than 2021, and I think the top's going to surprise people a little bit. I think there's going to be three to four guys that are going into the first round. There's going to be a lot of depth, and then people are going to look back and say, like, why were we so down on this quarterback class? That's a
0: fair point. And we will likely prove those people wrong, as we tend to, folks. Thanks for tuning in uh, to today's episode. Stay tuned for Thursday's interview. <coughs> excuse me, as we continue to have a bunch of fantastic prospect interviews that continue to only get better and better, bigger and bigger names. Follow us on social media at NFL Prospects Pod, at Rise and Draft, uh, at Joe DeLeon, at Alex Gilstrap. Uh, Also follow Believe Podcast Hit that subscribe button Wherever you're listening to us And leave us a 5 star review And head to Believe.com B-L-A-V.com To find hundreds of other amazing shows Enjoy the rest of your week folks We'll talk to you soon